Matt Schauf and Jared Smola here today talking about the basics of fantasy football. Jared, you and I have been playing this game for a long time, so you kind of take for granted that people know what you're talking about. They're familiar with the specifics of the game, but obviously that's not the case for everybody. You know, there are people at any point who are going to be new to fantasy, and if you're one of those people, thank you for coming to this video. I'm glad that you're now interested in fantasy football. The first thing that you should know about it is that it's fun. I mean, that's why people play it. That's why it's been around forever. It was created by a group of guys hanging out together in a bar in California in the 60s. That's how fantasy football started. So that's, you know, what it is to this point, Jared. And and I think if people aren't having fun, then they're probably playing it for the wrong reason. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the money's nice too, right? But you're not, uh, in most cases, you're not making life-changing money. You can, which, you know, we can we can talk about at some point. But um, yeah, I mean, fantasy football, it's, your, it's how many times have you sat on your couch and thought, I can do better than this coach. I can do better than this GM. Fantasy football is kind of your chance to to prove that. You're running your own team. You're drafting players. You're setting a starting lineup. You're trading. You're adding guys off the waiver wire. So um, that, that's how fantasy football works. You're picking real players to a fake team, then competing with that fake team against other fake teams. <laughs> and even if you're not watching TV like, Bill Belichick's an idiot, I can do better than him. Even if you're just like, my buddy Rick's an idiot, I can do better <laughs> than him at fantasy football. I, that's what it's for. You guys pick teams, and then you see if you beat Rick's team and you know 10 other buddies, but we'll talk about the number of people that you play with going forward. So let's, you know, like I said, let's get to all these basics. We are, for one thing, putting real players onto a fake team, like Jared said. You're collecting actual NFL players, and then you score points based on what these players do in the real games. So those points come together, they create your team's score for the week, and don't worry, we're going to get to all the specifics of what all of that means going forward. But at its base, you have this team of players, they score points, you collect them, and then you try to beat somebody else's team either on a weekly basis or for the season. Ultimately, you want to be the best scoring team right. for the season. Yeah, exactly. So I think the first decision you're going to have to make when you you know delve into fantasy football is what format you want to play. I think there's three basic ones at this point. Redraft being the most um, popular, the tr traditional, that's what we're going to talk about mostly today. There's also Keeper and Dynasty Leagues. We have a video on that if you want to check that out. But that's where you're going to keep some or all of your roster from year to year. So it's definitely more of a in-depth, you know, involved uh, format of fantasy football. Then there's also best ball. We also have a video on best ball basics. So you can check that out. But again, redraft is probably where you want to start. Most basic, uh, most popular, most easy to get into. And hey, if you're a visual learner as opposed to auditory, we have articles accompanying those as well. If you just want to read through and get all the specifics, redraft is literal. Like that's why it's called that every season you draft a new team. So you're not carrying one team from this year to next year. You redraft that league every year. Um, like Jared said, that's the the general format. That's what pretty much everybody who, who plays fantasy plays. And then you can move on to the more involved formats that take more time. Let's before we get further into that specific format, how you put together a team, let's just talk about exactly what goes into the scoring, Jared. And obviously, if you're at all familiar with football, you know, passing, rushing, receiving. Those are the basic things happening on offense. There's blocking, too. There's not really a good way to quantify that yet. So we're not drafting offensive linemen. We're focused on the quote unquote skill position players. And I'm just using that because that's the common terminology, not because I don't think that there's skill to playing offensive line. I played offensive line in high school, so I know that there's skill to it. I know there's technique. I know that without offensive linemen, everybody else in offense would be in big trouble. But 
Not a great way yet to quantify their contributions to the game. So we're focused, at least on the offensive side, on passing, rushing, receiving. Jared, why don't you tell us exactly what goes into scoring the passing element? Yeah, so passing, you're looking at yards, touchdowns, and interceptions primarily. You know, your basic league is going to score for for those three stat categories. Passing yardage, you're generally going to see like 20 or 25 passing yards equal one point for quarterbacks or other positions, right? If you have your wide receiver <laughs> toss a pass, you, that will score as well. Um, touchdowns, passing touchdowns are usually four points rather than six. That's just to kind of make quarterbacks not too valuable, but you can definitely find leagues that do award six points per mm-hmm. passing touchdown. Interceptions, you're obviously losing points for those, generally minus one or minus two points for interceptions. More, you know, Advanced in-depth leagues, you can find leagues that will award points for passing completions, deduct points for incompletions. There's leagues that deduct points for sacks. But again, generally, it's going to be passing yards, touchdowns, and interceptions that are scored. Yeah, and you get, uh, you'll get some formats, too, that offer more points for big plays. You will get some, as you mentioned, that have the six-point touchdowns. I think originally it was cut down from six to four to keep the quarterbacks, like you said, from scoring too much and being too valuable But then sometimes you get and you're like, well, the quarterbacks aren't really valuable enough because in real life, they're Mm -hmm. so valuable. Every team pretty much needs a quarterback. So sometimes you add things like that. in. I mean, that's really one of the great things about fantasy is there's not one right way to do it. We'll talk about what's most common, but just because it's most common doesn't mean it's the best. You can play with a group and decide on your own what you like, what you don't like, what you change from one year to the next. You, You should be experimenting, especially if the whole group is new and you haven't found that format that you that's just perfect for your purposes. Yeah, you can basically find any format you want nowadays, and if you you can't find it, you can create it. And most of these uh, commissioning services, we'll talk about some later, let you make the rules you want to you want to make. And of course, we talk when we talk passing, we're talking primarily quarterbacks, and they factor in in rushing as well, especially now versus when we started playing. I mean, there were always some guys who ran. Now there are a lot more quarterbacks who run and pass. Primarily running backs scoring on the rushing front. You you get some wide receivers that rush as well. But whoever's running the ball, like with passing, you score on yards, you score on touchdowns. Yards for rushing is most commonly 10 yards per point. Um, Obviously, that's going to vary quite a bit depending on the specific formats. And we'll get into some other variations in a minute. But generally, you're looking at one point for every 10 yards rushing. There are both formats that... Just have it basic like that. Every 10 yards, you get one point. If you get nine yards beyond that, you don't get the point. There are also, however, decimal scoring options, which I think is certainly more fair because obviously 19 yards rushing is better than, uh, I don't know, 11. Yeah, 10 <laughs> yards rushing. Like you want to get all the points for all the yards gained. Um, it's silly to, to, to treat that as the same. So there are those variations. Touchdowns. Usually six points per touchdown here. You know, that's just what it's worth in real football. So it makes sense to keep that in place. On the smaller scale, you will find fantasy leagues that give points per carry at sometimes points per first down. I think it can get unwieldy when you give points for carries. You have to really look at the balance across positions and what you're giving quarterbacks for completions and what you're giving per reception and all that. So a good way to kind of add some credit to the rushers without ballooning it with carries is that first downs giving those point per first downs because you're also awarding value there anytime that a guy 
gets a first down, he's either making a good play by getting some distance on his own or showing how valuable he is to the team by getting those carries that are in the short yardage situations where they need to convert a first down. Yep. So, you know, if you're getting beyond the basic scoring level and looking for an advancement, first downs is an interesting way to play it. For sure. And with all these scoring differences, it's important to understand them, right? Because they make a huge impact on the types of players you want to draft in your fantasy leagues. Receiving, you know, similar to rushing where you're going to get the points for yards and touchdowns. In most leagues, you know, whatever you give for rushing yards is going to be the same for receiving yards, same for touchdowns, right? If rushing touchdowns are worth six, receiving touchdowns are going to be worth six. A couple of reasons I think receiving scoring is important. One, it impacts three different positions, right? Wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs are going to be scoring you know, significant amount of points for wide receivers and tight ends. Obviously, most, if not all, their points. Running backs, too, though, they're going to score a bunch with receiving. So the other part about receiving scoring is most leagues at, at this point reward points for receptions, for, for catches. One point per catch is pretty much the standard right now. It's called, it's called PPR, point per reception. One full point is kind of what you're going to find most commonly. There's also half point per reception, and there's also still leagues that award no points per reception. So, again, that's important because what your league chooses there has a big impact on how guys are ordered at different positions, you know, who's most valuable, and also who's most valuable across positions, you know, whether uh, running backs are more valuable than wide receivers or vice versa. So pay attention to whether your league is, you know, one PPR, half PPR, or non-PPR. And of course, like everything, there are even variations within that. You'll find 0.75, you'll (laughs) find 0.25. Don't make it too complicated if you're just jumping into this. I would decide probably either one point per reception or none half is you know a good in between if you're if you're not sure or if you have a league where people are on both sides cuz you'll you'll find plenty of both you'll find people saying a full point per reception like why is it so valuable for a guy to catch six balls for 40 yards and that's you know a fine argument that's not that that guy's not doing better than a running back that ran for 40 yards especially if he did it on four carries that guy's having a better day than the six catches for 40 yards so it can be unfair on the other hand if you have no receptions, if you have no scoring for receptions, then you make your game very touchdown heavy. Yes. Uh, you, you know, discount a guy who had an eight catch for a 102 yard game just because he didn't find the end zone. And then maybe you have the running back that ran for 41 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, which of those two games is really a better performance right. by that player? Probably the receiving day. So. It's all a balancing act. And I think ultimately the thing to keep in mind is we're not going to get a perfect representation of what happens on the field, you know, necessarily being the way it happens in fantasy. So don't strive for that. and Don't be disappointed if you fall short of that. I think what we want to do, though, is get as close an approximation as we can where good players who are having good performances give you good points and guys who are disappointing or low impact are not making big impacts in your fantasy matchups. And I think simple is always better for scoring. I've been in leagues. It seems fun to do all this point per carry point, point for first down stuff when you're setting it up. But like when I'm sitting there watching the games on Sunday, I want to be able to just like cap it in my head almost, you know, this Mm -hmm. is how many fantasy points my guy has. And if you're doing all that extra stuff, it gets, it gets tough. I want to forget about uh, what (laughs) points I need from guys while I'm watching the games and then just check at the end of the day. Cause I don't want to be there at four 25 thinking, Oh my God, I've got, gotta have this guy do this or my day is ruined i'd rather get to sunday night and be like wow i just had a really bad day and i didn't even realize it oh well i guess we'll get back to it next week
That's fair. <laughs> Kicking in defense, far lower impact and not as common as receiving, rushing, passing. I mean, you're, you're not having many fantasy leagues that don't have passing, receiving and rushing involved. Kickers and defenses from the start were also in the mix. You're seeing them dissipate some now, but just, you know, basics wise, what you do score if you use these on the kicking front. Obviously, we're talking about field goals and we're talking about extra points. You can score commonly for distances. I mean, it, 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 it's pretty easy to figure out that a 52-yard field goal is tougher to kick than a 29-yarder. So you should get more points for a 52-yard field goal than you get for a 29-yarder. A lot of times that's handled with decimal scoring. So you get a tenth of a point per yard or whatever the specifics are, even if it's just different buckets, 50 plus is this much, 40 to 49 is this much, 30 to 39 is this much. Either of those can work. Certainly some of it comes down to how complicated you want the scoring to be, but giving more weight to longer field goals definitely makes sense. You have to figure out whether you want to take away points for misses. Jared, I don't know about you. I don't like taking away points for misses. I don't want these kickers to impact my fantasy matchup too much because if anything, we want to cut down luck. And I don't think that any of us really knows that well how likely a specific kicker is to kick a 42-yard field goal. And frankly, I don't want to have to study <laughs> the the percentages, which also vary kicker by kicker, season to season. I would rather have a guy where I, you know, I take whatever field goal and extra point um, points he gives me, and he's not killing me if he happens to have a bad day or it's rainy and he misses two 40-yarders. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, listen, we we do spend time looking at kickers, right? Because that's our job. And if you do if you do play in leagues with kickers and with distance bonuses, you know we're we're there. We got you covered. Um, that's a good point you make though about we don't want kickers impacting our fantasy leagues too much. I don't personally. Again, this is great about fantasy football. If you want kickers to be super important in your league, go ahead and make the scoring system uh, fit that. But with the distance bonuses, I would be careful not to make those too big because if you do, you'll get cases where you know your kickers are outscoring your quarterbacks. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want that. And one more point on the misses, like. If you miss a 50-yarder or you miss a 28-yarder, I mean, those shouldn't be scored the same. I'd rather just not score the misses, but we'll move on. Extra points. I think it makes a little bit more sense to score the misses there, but, you know, then you get into why don't we count missed field goals. You you can decide that for your league, but extra points, you usually get one point for a made extra point, either nothing or negative for a missed extra point. There aren't nearly as many extra points being kicked now with changes to the NFL rules, so that's making that aspect a little bit less important. Maybe that impacts whether you have kickers in your league at all, but either way, it's something to know, something to not pay too much attention to because extra points are not huge in their impact um, on your fantasy scoring. Defenses, most commonly, if you use defense in fantasy at all, it's a team defense. You'll also see it abbreviated as D slash ST that stands for defense and special teams. Almost always the impact of special teams is whether they score return touchdowns. Those don't happen very much at this point. There are a handful of those a year, so it's not something to really factor in to how you weight a defense and which defense you use and all that. It's normally going to be driven by team defense scoring. That comes down to, you know, the things that you know that defenses do. Sacks are important. Interceptions are obviously important. Fumble recoveries are important. You don't usually get forced fumbles scored, although that would probably be a better way to do it because a defense forces a fumble. That's uh, that's a good play every time, no matter who recovers it. And recovery comes down a lot more to luck. But the way the scoring works, it's almost always interceptions, fumble recoveries, 
Also, points allowed is usually a factor. Not always, but it's usually a factor. And obviously, the fewer points that your defense allows to its opponent that day, the more fantasy points you score, because that's what we want defenses to do. Limit how much the opponent scores. So including points allowed, I think, is a good thing to do. You'll find some leagues that include yards allowed. That's far less common. You know, you can use whatever you want on that front. I think the difference between points allowed and yards allowed, the key difference is you can have a very good defensive day and allow some yards, especially if you're up big and you're in garbage time and all of a sudden the other team is throwing a whole bunch. They're going to pile up some yardage late in the game. So that's going to make it look like a worse defensive performance than it really was. I care more about my defense limiting its opponent to 13 points than I do it keeping the opponent under 300 yards, for example. Yeah, I, I like leagues that use both points and yards allowed, right? Because I think those are the two most predictable stats on defense. If you're really trying to make it, you know, more of a game of scale, less of a game of luck. Because you know, things like I mean, sacks I think are semi predictable, but the, the turnovers are tough to predict. It's it's really random, kind, kind of lucky. So I, I you know, per- personally, leagues I play in with DSTs, I do like using both points and yards allowed. That is certainly fair. Touchdowns also play a big factor here, and that's one of those you definitely can't predict. I mean, you can look at a defense and say they've got this one cornerback <laughs> that is very good at picking off passes, and he's had a couple of return touchdowns in his past, but you're rarely going to look at that and say that guy is likely to pick off a pass and score with it this week, so I'm going to use them. <laughs> it's just not going to work out. But when they do, they make big swings and points. You normally get six points for any touchdown that the defense scores, whether it is an interception return, whether it's a fumble recovery and return, whether it's a blocked kick. That's another one you get points for. If they block a punt, if they block a field goal, you normally get points for that. I'm not sure, honestly, about blocked extra points. Those really don't come up very much. You probably do get points for blocked extra points, usually when you get a point for a blocked field goal. So any touchdowns that come off of those, you'll get the six points for. You'll also get the six points for return touchdowns normally. There's room if you want to include return yardage. Obviously, that increases the impact of the special teams aspect. If you do want to score those, if you're like, hey, it's part of the game. It's one third of the game. We might as well give credit. You can absolutely do that. Uh, And there are plenty of platforms for including that as well. But it's not commonly included. Usually you just see the special team show up if a touchdown scored. And I'll just say again, like with kickers, be careful not to let your team defense, your DST scoring get too out of hand. I Mm -hmm. think you know we'd rather have those skill position guys impacting who's really winning these fantasy games. Yes, I agree. So, Jared, we started touching on the common scoring formats at first. Let's get a little deeper into those. The first up is PPR, as you mentioned. That stands for point. Point per reception. It literally means one point for every reception that a player gets. It gives a lot more weight to receivers. You know, it came in initially because the quote unquote standard scoring, and you'll still find it referred to as that, the standard scoring traditionally has been no PPR, no points for any receptions, which much more heavily weighted running backs and downplayed wide receivers. So you bring in PPR, it it not only gives weight to receivers, it also adds predictability to it because you know target distribution you know target distribution meaning how many pass attempts the quarterback throws to specific players you can predict that obviously we're not going to be 100 percent, but you can predict that reasonably you can reasonably predict how many receptions a, a pass catcher tends to get among those targets and you can reasonably predict his yardage from those expected catches from those expected targets so It's a bit more predictable than 
rushing, which can rely pretty heavily on touchdowns. Yeah, well, I like what you said earlier about, you know, adding the point per reception kind of reduces the impact of touchdown scoring, which which I like because touchdowns mm-hmm. are more random, right? I can, mm-hmm. if I make a 10-yard run from the opponent's 20-yard line, that's just one point. But if I do it from the 10-yard line, get in the end zone, that's seven points. is a huge difference. So I do like the, the fact that, you know, adding the PPR does reduce the impact of touchdown scoring. The other thing that I think, remember about PPR and again it's important to know the scoring system you're playing in not only does it make tight ends and wide receivers more valuable it also changes where these guys rank within their positions right uh, uh slot receiver who's doing a lot of you know short yardage work and catching a lot of passes even if it's not a lot of yards he's at that point in in full PPR one PPR going to become more valuable than someone who you know might score a lot of touchdowns but not make as many catches same thing at running back too mm-hmm. at running back the backs that catch a lot of balls get a big value boost in PPR versus Mm non-PPR. And then the holy grail at running back, of course, becomes the guy that's controlling the rushing and the receiving for his team's backfield. Um, So you'll get Austin Eckler up top. You'll get Jonathan Taylor up there a couple years ago. You know, we'll we'll see exactly who are the guys leading that. But, you know, ideally you're getting a running back that's leading the rushing, leading the receiving. But it also, you know, adds value to running backs who – might commonly be called um, third down backs. They might be um, complementary backs. Change, you know, a, change yeah, of pace. Exactly. Back, Whatever phrase you want to use to to name them. These guys that uh, they get marginalized if you yep. don't include reception scoring. They just are, are non-impact players. It adds them into the mix. Makes it a little bit easier for everybody to find running backs to fill out their roster every week. Um, half PPR is another version of that, which you touched on. Yeah, again, so at this point, PPR is the most popular fantasy format, but you can also do half PPR and non-PPR, obviously pretty self-explanatory. Again, non-PPR, <clears throat> the yardage and especially touchdowns just are way, are get weighed a lot more because that's you know mm-hmm. that's how you're scoring points. So then half PPR, I do think, is kind of a good good middle ground, right? You're not getting the full point for a guy who you know catches a pass for negative one yards. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you don't want that to count you know, a, a full point. So half PPR, I do think, is kind of a good balance between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it might be that you your league started with no PPR and you're like, uh, we got to add in some reception scoring. Maybe you tried it with one PPR. Maybe you find that's too much. Like we talked about before, you don't like what it's doing for the guys that have a six catch, 45 yard day. So come back down to half a point per reception um, and we'll get into the specific positions because there can also be variation among the positions within a scoring system. If you, you know, really are trying Mm -hmm. to play with the formula uh, to get things how you want them. So, Jared, let's get to those positions, which obviously we've touched on. And I think anybody watching this probably generally knows the positions involved. Like I said, we're not using offensive linemen. Everybody else on offense is in play. With quarterback, most commonly fantasy leagues are starting one quarterback every week. Um, That is just the most common fantasy format. Now, you can play other formats because maybe you get into that and you're like, this doesn't value quarterbacks enough because they're much more important in real football than they are in fantasy. If I have just one quarterback that I'm starting every week with these four-point touchdowns, I mean, the first guy isn't getting drafted until round three, maybe. Mm -hmm. So... Maybe you don't feel like that properly values that position. Superflex is another option. And superflex just means maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because we <laughs> haven't even talked about regular flex here. Um, so why don't I throw that in? Flex positions are a position where you can play anybody from a group of positions. Traditionally, the flex position can be filled by a running back or a wide receiver or a tight end. So superflex 
adds quarterback to that mix. You can start a quarterback in that flex position. You don't need to because then you don't necessarily have to have multiple starting quarterbacks for every team. So it gives you some flexibility. Two quarterback is another option. Obviously, that one requires everybody in the league to have two quarterbacks to start every week. That's certainly more challenging. It, you know, the the number of quarterbacks is yeah. is finite. There are 32 starters at any point in the NFL. Then you add in bye weeks and it, it's that one's challenging. Yeah, I, I would say I think Superflex is kind of just a fancy name for a two quarterback league, though, because if you're playing a Superflex league, you're going to want a quarterback in that flex spot because they generally, again, we talk about these standard scoring systems we just went through. Quarterbacks are going to score more points than the other position. So you do want a quarterback in that flex spot. But it does, like you said, give you the option if you can't find a, a warm body at quarterback to, to throw another position in there. Right. You want to treat it like it's a two quarterback league, but you at least don't take a zero if you don't have a second quarterback right. and you're not tossing in some backup where you hope his starter gets injured in that game <laughs> and he gives you points running back. Most commonly, you're starting two running backs in your lineup. Like I said, there is that flex position where you could start an extra one and we'll talk about how many flex positions there are, but usually there are two. There are plenty of formats where you play one. There are some that shake it up and give you options for how many you start start from the different position groups. But usually we're starting two of these a week, Jared. Yep, and then wide receiver is typically between two to three. I think anywhere in there is kind of the standard. Then tight end, you're usually looking at just one of those. Mm -hmm. So here we're talking about, and I don't think that we really got into the number of teams in each fantasy league yet. So that's going to impact how many running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, your league needs to fill out every roster. Most commonly, we've got 10 teams, 12 teams in a league. We see, you know, often there are leagues of eight teams. There are less often leagues of 14 or more teams, but they do go beyond that. We go 14, 16, um, not usually above 16 teams yep. in a redraft league. So really that range of eight to 16 teams is kind of the pocket yep. where almost all leagues are going to be. And clearly, you know, you don't have to have a math degree to figure out that an eight team league is putting a lot different, a lot higher quality players in everybody's starting lineup every week than a 16 team league is. So the benefit is fewer teams. It's a little bit easier for everybody to fill out their lineup. It's easier for everybody to find available players. On the other end, if you want that challenge, if you want to make everybody learn more players, if you want to make it tough to fill out that um, lineup every yep. week, more teams does that. Yeah, I think if you're just starting out, 10 or 10 or 12 teams is the place to go. That tends to just work best because you're not, not everyone, like you said, not everyone has that star-studded lineup of an eight-team league. But when you get mm -hmm. to 14 and 16, you do have to start kind of, you know, dive deep. You're starting, you know, second string running backs and, you know, third string start some wide guys receivers. You don't like. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, which, like, you know, I don't want to play this guy. Which which can be fun in mm -hmm. ways. Um, but I think, I think you know, 10, 10 or 12 is the standard, and I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I agree. So, like you said, wide receivers, two or three. Um, it can depend some on league size. So, if you are playing a larger league, maybe you try two wide receivers receivers instead tight end almost always one of those um, we talked about the reception scoring tight ends are a position where you can in plenty of places now find variations on that reception scoring tight end premium is a common format both in redraft and in dynasty most often it's one and a half points 
per tight end reception versus one point per reception for everybody else. So that's the premium. It just adds, you know, value to every reception for a tight end. The logic tight ends don't catch as many passes as wide receivers. They obviously don't carry the ball like running backs. So it just brings them up in value to close to where the other guys are. They still don't quite match because you're still usually just starting one tight end versus multiples at the other position. So it's not like if you have tight end premium, all of a sudden six teams are taking tight ends in the first round because they're so valuable. It just pushes them up. So maybe Travis Kelsey is a no brainer in the first round. And then Mark Andrews is a good pick in round two. It just, it it, it elevates those guys a bit. Yeah. I'm definitely a fan of tight end premium. I think if you're not doing tight end premium tight ends beyond the top, what like four or five or six kind of don't mean anything. Right. So it's definitely a way to make that position more meaningful, more impactful. Yeah. It's, it's a position that's still highly driven by touchdowns. So the other thing, you know, aside from balancing it with other positions here is that you add some value to a tight ends game, even if he doesn't happen to find the end zone, as we mentioned, that's kind of random predicting touchdowns. So we don't want to act like a guy didn't contribute just because he didn't score a touchdown in the game. So, like I said, flex positions normally collect all three of these running back, wide receiver, tight end. You know, this is a good way to add lineup depth without requiring a specific position. So, like, you'll find leagues that require you to start three running backs. That's tough because if you are in a 12 team league, you need 36 starting running backs every single week. I guarantee you that half the league is going to be deciding among players that they don't want to start, which doesn't make it a bad thing. You can definitely add that challenge. You know, like we said, the great thing about fantasy is you do it however you want. Um, But beware that if you play the extra challenging (laughs) ones, you're going to get whiny people in your league at some point in the year. Guys that you didn't even realize that they were whiny, maybe in in regular life, they they get whiny in fantasy. So um, this flex position allows you to pick. You know, anything running back, wide receiver, tight end. So it's a whole lot easier to say I can pick one extra player from all of these guys that are normally on my bench as opposed to a specific running back or even a specific receiver. Yeah, I think the optionality of flex spots makes fantasy more fun. Um, I think it makes the draft less predictable, right? If you have, you know, this one guy who says, you know, I want a couple of running backs in my flex spot, but, you know, if this other guy wants a couple of wide receivers, it makes it makes the draft um, more each draft more unique. I think so. I definitely like the idea of flex bots. And again, um, pay attention to the scoring system if you have flex bots. Because again, if it's a PPR league, again, wide receivers are more valuable. So you might want receivers in your flex bot. If it's non PPR, you're generally going to be you know leaning towards running backs in your flex bot. And it adds a challenge to setting your lineup every week. You you know you're not just picking a receiver versus your other receivers. You're saying I think this wide receiver is going to have a better week than this running back. Yep. You can also add extra flex spots. You know, you can have more than just the one. You can have more than just one and a super flex spot. You can have two flexes. You could have three flexes. You know, another one of those spots where you can add the challenge. You can add to a lineup. You make people make more decisions, but you still give the flexibility that they don't necessarily have to start a specific position um, above others. Kicker. Always one. If you play in a two kicker league, then I'm probably going to get mad at you. (laughs) But, um, you know, always almost always one. More and more leagues are going to zero at this point. The NFL seems like it's trying to make (laughs) kickers less important. So it's certainly fine to push kickers out of your league. Um, You know, it's up to you if you want to if kickers are still people. So if you want to make sure that they are involved, feel free to keep them in. Uh, I won't be mad at that. Defense special teams also almost always one. Uh, And this is one where 
it's tough to predict defenses that score points every week because most of them don't score well every week. A lot of it varies based on your opponent. So this is one that's definitely not super important when yep. you're putting your team together at the beginning of the year and one that you can just mess around with during the season trying to target different matchups week to week. Yeah, if you haven't figured it out, yeah, you know, defense, special teams, and kicker are definitely the, um, you know, tend to be the least impactful positions in fantasy. So you should be, you know, spending the fewest amount of resources on those two positions. If you want to have defense involved and actually want to make it more impactful and more interesting, I highly recommend having IDPs. And if you've never heard even the abbreviation IDP, you can hit our site right now and see my article on IDP rankings, um, you know, right there. So you can check it out. It'll give you kind of the basis of what it is and, and how these guys can factor in. But IDP stands for individual defensive players. And obviously that's just what it sounds like. You're not using a team defense. You are picking individual players from a defense. You're getting fantasy points from those guys. Commonly, they come from buckets of defensive linemen linebackers and defensive backs. So defensive linemen would be defensive ends, would be defensive tackles. Defensive backs would include cornerbacks and safeties. Obviously, today's NFL is blurring the lines of who exactly plays what the what position. That's going to depend some on what site you do your fantasy playing on, but they're all getting better at figuring out, you know, is TJ Watt more of a defensive end than a linebacker and other variations like that. So they're all getting sharper. You'll certainly look in your system and figure it out from there. Scoring here, even more complicated than it is on the offensive side though. But that also means even more room for variation. So, you know, most commonly you're scoring tackles, you're scoring assisted tackles, um, you're scoring sacks, you're scoring turnover plays, so interceptions, fumble recoveries. You do generally get credit for a forced fumble here, which should be because, like I said, that's a positive play. Even if the even if the other team recovers its own fumble, it's still positive that you knocked it loose and gave your team a chance to pick that up. You get points for safeties. Those rarely happen, so you're not factoring that in. You do get touchdown points for any, any times that a defensive player scores here. That also is tough to predict, so you're not factoring that in as well, although... Guys who create more turnovers are going to be more likely to have those high impact, um, big point plays. You can certainly learn lots more about the IDP basics and scoring in our Draft Sharks University section. If you want to learn more about IDPs, you know, feel free uh, to to read more there and really dive into that area. And I think most fantasy leagues will either do IDP or team defense. Some do do both, but you know, generally you're picking between the two. I think if you're just starting out, you. I would probably wouldn't start an IDPs. The one thing, one thing I mean, I, I love them. I'm, you know, I, I'm not talking bad about your IDPs, <laughs> Matt. But the one thing I would say though is, I think playing IDPs, you can get a bigger edge because there's just less analysis out there right now on those, you know, those positions. So I do think if you're if you're trying to win, I think maybe getting in an IDP league might be the best best way to go. Yeah, playing with IDPs right now is like playing on the offensive side 25 years ago, where Everybody has some sense who's playing it, but most people aren't paying nearly enough attention to understand um, all the variations. And it, like Jared said, it's 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 much easier to gain an edge on the defensive side than it is on offense. Drafting, Jared, we've referred to it so far, but let's dig in a little bit more to what drafting actually means. I'm sure that anybody watching this video gets the concept of drafting. Yeah. You've probably watched the NFL draft. Um 
it's literally that taking turns picking players, but there are a few different ways you can do it. What's the most common? Yeah, snake draft, or you're sometimes here refer, refer to as serpentine draft, serpentine, serpentine. Uh, yeah, I guess it sna- depends on exactly where we're you're talking, from. We're talking snakes, and that's because <laughs> yeah. it, it's the order of the draft snakes back and forth. So say you have a 12-team league. You'll have you know picks 1 through 12 in round 1. Round 2 is going to go 12 through 1. 3 is back 1 through 12. Round 4 are back 12 through 1. So that just it, you know, it levels the playing field. Right? You don't want right. the same team to have the first pick in every round. So generally, if we're in a redraft league, it's going to be a snake draft. Yeah, and the, for just the reason that Jared said, it makes a whole lot more sense if you pick 12th in the first round. You should pick earlier in the second round, obviously. Otherwise, you're just going to get stuck with the quote-unquote worst player <laughs> Obviously, doesn't actually work out that way. That's why we do projections and rankings. But you're, it, it, it's not a level playing field yeah. if you're picking at the end every time. There are, however, linear drafts, and linear would be not snaking. It do, it goes one to twelve, then one to twelve, then one to twelve every single round. I think where you do that is if you play in a league that plays every year and you want to say, hey, dude, you won last year, so we're going to give you a disadvantage. So you're picking 12th every round this year. That, you know, that's fine. If you want to do that in individual league, it's most common in Dynasty um, where they have rookie drafts every year. But if you want to learn more about Dynasty and about the rookie drafts, we've got articles on that on uh, DraftSharks University and video if you want to um, learn more about that. So usually snake drafting here. Third round reversal is another variation on that snake draft. It is still a snake draft at base, but that third round does just what it says, reverses. So if you pick 12th in round one, you pick first in round two, you also pick first in round three, right? Yeah, correct. And I think the idea there is I think some people believe having the first pick and getting the first pick in round one, and then again in round three, that's too big of an advantage, right? So if we flip it and give the same team the first pick in round two and three, that's a fairer way to do it. Again, it, it's totally totally up to you. I think there's no right answer here, but third-round reversal definitely is an option. There's plenty of leagues out there that, that you can find that in. Yeah, there's some data behind it. You know, Like most things, it came out for a reason. Uh, it's still not a common format. It is around. It's around more now than it was 20 years ago, but most commonly you're looking at, at just the standard snake format. If you do a third-round reversal, it does tend to snake after that round three reversal. Correct. So when we go 1 to 12 from round three, no, 12 to 1 through round three, then it just comes back around in round right. four and it just goes normal the rest of the way. So, you know, it's not a Rubik's cube. <laughs> Auction drafting is really fun if you have lots of time and if you want to <laughs> add an extra challenge to your draft. So, you know, like we said, drafting is just the way you put your roster together. Normally, it's just picking a player, taking your turn to pick a player. But auction style is just like a regular real life auction where something is up on the block for bidding and everybody involved is allowed to bid and you can either buy it or let somebody else buy it. And in this case, what you're either buying or passing on is each player. So normally in an auction, you have one player up at a time. You start with a a finite amount of usually fake money that you can spend to build your roster. So you know that you only have so much to spend and that every player you win is going to cut into the amount that you have left to fill out your roster. So, you know, we have, again, more articles and another video explaining all of that in detail and giving you some strategies if you want to try an auction. But, you know, at its base, Jared, you're just 
spending money to buy the best players and trying not to overspend mm-hmm. so that you also have enough to fill out your roster well. Yeah, definitely more strategy, more um, optionality involved in auction leagues. So I would definitely recommend checking it out. Like you said, we do have that video if you're interested in auction leagues. I think the last decision you'll need to make for your draft or auction is whether you want to do it live or online. You know, 25 years ago when we started playing, there were only live drafts. So I'm <laughs> still kind of partial to those. You obviously have to, well, you probably should know your league mates if you're doing a live draft, but there's definitely advantages to it. The advantage to online drafts, everything is more organized. You actually have a, a set timer. So, you know, Rick can't spend three minutes uh, deciding who he wants to pick. He'll get a minute, he'll get a minute and a half. Um, so most Rick's drafts. Rick's taking a beating in this video, <laughs> yeah, by yeah, the so, way. Sorry, Rick. What a dope. Most drafts nowadays are online, right? But again, I do think. Um, lo- Live drafts are fun if you can put it together. Oh, yeah. And and you can mesh them at this point. Like, you can be live, get all your buddies in the same place if you do have a home league like that, and just draft it online. That's probably the yeah. ideal way yeah. to do it because then you don't have some guy looking through all the stickers or trying to spell the names who doesn't know how to spell them. Actually, now that I say that, you, you probably want somebody <laughs> writing those names down because it's pretty funny to watch yeah. your dumbest friend spell Hushmanzada, uh, for example. And uh, so live versus online, though. You know, you can mesh them, but just know the differences. Know what works for your league. Setting a lineup, Jared, we've referenced the lineup, but now let's get specific on how you do this. We talked about the positions, and obviously exactly who you put in there is going to depend on your league and exactly what your lineup settings are. If we're just working with a quarterback, two running backs, two to three wide receivers, a tight end, a flex spot, maybe a kicker, maybe a defense, how do we go about setting this lineup every week. And I, what does that even mean, setting a lineup? Right. So, I mean, so we talked about the starting lineup requirements. It's generally, what, eight to ten players in your starting lineup. But your entire fantasy football roster is going to be 16, At least double the size, to, yeah, probably. 16 to 20 players, I think, is kind of that's kind of the standard range. So you're going to have to decide each week which players are in your starting lineup. Those are the ones that score points for you, right? The ones on your bench, they're, they're not scoring. They're just they're there for you know future weeks for, mm-hmm. for whatever you might need them for down the line. But you need to decide which guys are going in those starting spots. And there's a ton of different variables you need to be looking at when deciding who should go in your starting lineup. We will help you with that at Draft Sharks, But um, just just realize that not everyone you draft is going to be scoring points for you every week. Yeah, you're literally choosing who you think are going to be the best players that week. And if you want to just have you know, your lineup that you play every week that's mostly those guys in the same in the same spots week after week, That's going to be fine in a lot of cases, especially at a position like quarterback. You're probably picking somebody that's, you know, one of the first 10 quarterbacks off the board. That guy is going to be starting for you more often than not. So it's not an overwhelming number of decisions. You're not picking among every quarterback every week. You're picking from that roster that we just referenced. You're you're talking about 16 to 20 players to fill a lineup of 8 to 11. So most of the decisions are going to be made for you. Um, but there are some decisions week to week, and you do want to put some thought into it. Look at matchups. Look at what you need. Look at what the players have done to that point, of course, and try to put together the best collection of players um, to to beat the person you're playing against. This is the other factor, though. You're not necessarily playing against somebody. Most fantasy leagues are head-to-head at this point, but there's also the total points um, possibility. So... In that case, you're usually still setting a lineup, but you're just chasing the most points. And that that takes out a bit more of the luck where, you know, Jared, let's say that you have the second highest score in your league for the week, but yep. you happen to be playing the team with the highest score. Or you have the second lowest score and you happen <laughs> to be playing the team with the lowest score. You know, it, it's it's certainly not fair to win your week with the second lowest score. Nobody's saying this all has to be fair, but it's just <laughs> one other thing to 
to consider as you're determining exactly yeah. how you want to set up your specific league. Yeah, if you're looking for fair, total points is the way to go. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for fun, though, I, th I think head-to-head -head wins there, right? Because then you actually, you know what you're facing. You know, you, there's this other guy. You can see it on the screen. You can have your scores up all Sunday watching you know, the points roll in. Um, so I think, and, and most fantasy leagues, the majority are head-to-head. -head. Mm -hmm. And having it as head-to-head -head then rolls into playoff weeks where the best-performing teams in the season, whether it's, strictly by record, whether it's a combo of record and total points, however you set it up, normally we'll get the top few teams into the playoffs and then they'll square off against each other. And again, certainly not the fairest way to choose a champion, but you know, is it the fairest way for the NFL <laughs> to choose a champion? You could be awesome in the regular season and then happen to have a yep. bad playoff game or Brock Purdy's elbow blows up and you have no shot in Philadelphia. So it's not all about fairness. It's also about fun. That's where we started this. You want it to be fun. It's fun to face somebody in the championship, even if you lose and you kick yourself about it for the next, what, eight months. I was going to say, th those, are the, those are the fantasy stories come from, right? Those, <laughs> exactly. bad, those bad playoff beats. They suck at the time, but you know, three years later, you can kind of laugh about it with your buddies. And then you can also have the the bets within the season. If you, if you feel like going that route, you can either have the penalties that the loser has to pay, or you can have individual <laughs> bets for individual games you know like i said it's fun all of these things are aspects that add fun to it anything else that people need to know about the lineup before we move on to something else i don't think so waiver wire is something that comes into play throughout your fantasy season waiver wire can also be called free agents it is all of the players that are not on a team in your league at any time. So obviously at the beginning of the season it's any players that were not drafted they just go into this pool they're freely available. There are different ways that you can handle claiming those players. Oftentimes, a league will have set days where there are waiver claims made. And then there are different ways to determine whether, like, who gets each player yep. among the claims that are put in. So, Jared, I guess let's start with what is what is first come, first served waivers? Yeah, kind of self-explanatory, right? It's first one who puts the claim in for that guy gets him. Um, it's kind of, it's the most basic. I also think it's the least fair because yeah. it's just who can be sitting in front of their computer, yes. you know, at the, at the right time of the day. That is a great way <laughs> to create huge issues in your yeah. league because you will undoubtedly get the guy who is up at four in the morning making waiver claims or claiming players during the games on Sunday when other people are, you know, doing something with their families or even just watching and not plugged in. So, it's best to not just have all the free agents freely available at all times. You know, we can talk about other ways to make them available when you need to plug a lineup hole, but it's best to not just have them freely available at all times. So the next step is to set that waiver priority. And if you don't want to use a bidding process, we'll talk about that in a minute, but waiver priority can be the next one, Jared. And that's where you basically go it usually starts in reverse order from how the draft went. So if you had the first pick in the draft, you start out at the bottom of waiver priority order. Yep. That can also change during the season for who has picked up players who won their claims. Maybe it can change by record. You know, you maybe you have spots where you reset so that the worst team in the league gets an earlier shot, like what the NFL does, I believe, throughout the regular season. That's right. Um, so, you know, waiver priority is something to figure out exactly how you want to do it. Yeah, generally, like, you know, if, again, if you picked last in your draft, you'll have the top waiver priority for week one. If you use that waiver, let's say, you know, uh, uh, Saquon Barkley goes down, you want to pick up his 
backup, you're going to use that priority. Then you're going to go to the back of the line. Mm-hmm. And you're then going to be, you know, 12th and waiver. So it's definitely a fairer way to do it. It makes you, you know, less tied to your computer for, mm-hmm. you know, 60 hours during the week. So <laughs> waiver priority is definitely, I think, a better way to go about it than, than first come, first serve. And then, of course, you strategize whether this player is worth using yes. that priority because then you do go to the back of the line or if you want to save it for next week because you think there's a chance that you'll get something even better. An even more fair way to do it is blind bidding. And that's where you start with an imaginary budget of money, like we mentioned with the auction. Um, you, you start with this at the beginning of the year. And then each time there is a waiver run, you know, you'll have like a, a set Tuesday night or a Wednesday night where waivers are going to run. And anybody who puts in claims, then it gets decided. So what you do with blind bidding is you say, I want this running back. I will pay this much to have him. And it's just like a blind bid auction. Uh, Everybody in your league has access to those players that are freely available. Everybody has a chance to put in those bids. And then whatever the deadline is, it runs. Whoever bid the most gets that player and everybody else just, you know, keeps their money and goes on to somebody else. Yep. Yeah, a lot of strategy involved here. I think, as you mentioned, you get you only get a finite amount of dollars for the entire year to use for this. So you have to decide, you know, one, how bad do I want this player? And then two, how much do I think I have to bid to beat everyone else in my league? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, fun strategy involved with blind bidding. It's definitely the most involved, but I, I do think it's the best way to go about it. A lot, a lot of leagues, too, will use two or more of these different you know types of ways to run the waiver. Mm-hmm. Right? Some will use a blind bidding system on, say, Wednesday night. And then once that process is done, then maybe it's first come, first serve for the next you know uh, three days of the week. So you can definitely kind of mix and match a couple of these different uh, you know, ways to go about it. Yeah, and I like that combo of it because I do think there should be that deadline where nobody has an advantage of getting on early. There is this cutoff where you know all I need to do is get in my bids before that. And if you miss that deadline, then, you know, tough. You got to put in some effort here to try to win your league. But it's good to have some element of first come first serve after that because maybe you get to Saturday or even Sunday morning and all of a sudden a guy that you thought was starting is hurt or yep. something happens Sunday um you, you need you it's good to have that option to get the fill in when you need it so it's good to have some first come first served uh, element worked in if you're like man I got to pick a team. I got to pick my lineup and I got to figure out who to pick up off of waivers every week. We do have a free agent finder on draftsharks.com, which makes it very easy to, to value the players in your specific league, your format, show you who would be a good pickup every week and guys that are down the list. that you don't need to worry about. Maybe you wait and see if you can pick them up for free rather than bidding, you know, fake dollars on them. For sure, yeah, yeah. So, so there's you know two ways during the season to improve your team. One is through the waiver wire, as we've just talked about. The other one is trading. Mm-hmm. You now, most fantasy leagues are going to allow you to trade players. If you're in a dynasty league, which again you can watch that video, you can trade draft picks in dynasty leagues. But if you're just in redraft, you're trading players, and you know, that's just like it works in the NFL, right? If you maybe are strong in one position and weak in another, you can kind of trade from that strength to improve a different, uh, you know position on your roster so um, again most leagues will have trading most leagues will have a trading deadline which tends to be around like week 10 i think is kind of standard but again that can change uh, depending on the fantasy league that you're in yeah if you do have a trade deadline you don't want it too late in the season because then you get teams that are out of contention and you have questions about who's got what (laughs) motivation you know what this is another great area to get people in your league fighting guys guys are guys are babies on this front (laughs) when there's a trade that they don't think is fair um you'll get lots of whining but you know it's either part of the fun or it can reveal to you who doesn't belong in your league so there's there's good and bad to it another thing on the trading front that you have to figure out is a veto system so 
obviously a veto is just what it says. It's a way for the league or the commissioner to say, nah, this trade is unbalanced. It's not fair. We're not going to allow this to happen. You can have no veto, um, which is certainly an option because it, it, vetoes can be a problem. So you can have no veto where a trade just goes through. You can have commissioner veto where there's one person in charge of the league who is the commissioner. Their level of power you know, is decided by you. It, it varies quite a bit depending on your league. But you can give that person power to say, nah, this trade's not okay. Uh, I'm not going to allow it. Or you can have a league vote system. It gets to a certain point, gets a certain number of votes. The trade gets canceled. Obviously, the logic there is if a trade is truly unbalanced, your group of fairly competing yeah. um, you know, players should be able to decide whether it's fair or not. I have, I don't know. I, I, I like for there to not be a veto. Yeah. I would like to think I'm playing with people who are all trying and it's not going to be an issue. And every once in a while, there's going to be an unbalanced trade. And that's kind of part of it. You know, you go try to to win one over mm-hmm. on your league mate. Uh, and if you are capable of doing that and it's not because that guy is, you know, has questionable motivation, why not be allowed to do it? Yeah, try to find a league where you trust the other owners enough where you don't need the veto, right? Because this stuff's all subjective. I might think this trade looks super lopsided, but the guy who made it might have a good reason. And we don't know the answers to this stuff. You know, we, we don't know how it's going to play out. So um, I, I would try not to have a veto rule, a rule in your league, but you know, it is an um, option if you want it. And maybe you just have a good enough commissioner that you can trust them to not misuse it. And you do want it in place just in case, you know, there is something just so bad that you don't want it to to shake the balance of the season. Plenty of help for trading on DraftSharks.com as well. We have free trade value charts so you can see every player's value. You can see ahead of time, like what makes sense to trade, what kind of guys you could look for that are at the same level as what you're looking to give up. There's also a trade explorer. If you're a, a DraftSharks insider, you can you know actually have it search other teams in your league pick out players that are going to fill the role that you're looking to fill and show you some stuff from your roster that makes sense. Trading is tricky. It could be a little scary at times too. Like I don't want to give up this guy. I've, you know, spent the last month with playing fan, (laughs) but um, it's definitely a bit, I think if you want to be a winning fantasy player, you need to learn how to make good trades. I'm a bad trader, honestly, (laughs) because I have a tough time giving up as much as I feel like I'm getting. And I have, you know, I I definitely value my own assets more than what I'm picking up. And I know that that's, you know, a common human bias. I can recognize it in myself. And yet I, I have trouble working past it when I'm trading in season. I hear you. I'm the same way. <laughs> so, Jared, we talked a lot about play. We've basically covered all the aspects. What about some places where people commonly play? I'm sure <laughs> anybody watching this video knows some of them. Yahoo, yep. ESPN are a couple of big ones. I know we've both played on. Yahoo is certainly um, good enough for most people, yep. good enough for redraft. It's easy enough to use. There is an app if you want to manage yep. your team by phone. So I've played plenty on Yahoo. Yeah, no shortage of options of where you can play fantasy football nowadays. I do think Yahoo and ESPN are the two most popular nfl.com has fantasy football cbs sleeper fan tracks and then you can get into other sites like underdog ffpc where you're, you're not creating your own league you're, you're you know joining a public league against people you might not know but you know you can win big money on those sites so no no shortage of options it's really personal preference there's no like right answer here there's different price points there's different functionality you know it whatever you feel most comfortable on whatever makes the fantasy experience most fun i think that's where you should be playing and wherever your league mates can get to you'll probably have you know a mix of 
people who are already on a site, maybe on none, but there are probably people who already have logins on certain sites. So feel free to let that direct it. I would say that if you're just starting out a league, look for a free platform because there's no need to pay for something for just your, your regular everyday fantasy league. There's plenty of functionality on Yahoo. ESPN, I'm less a fan of than <laughs> Yahoo, to be honest. NFL.com, also less so, but I've played on all three of those, so they're all doable. Sleeper and Fantrax, both free to start leagues on. They are both very clean in yep. setting up a league and being able to run it and having it do whatever you want it to do. So I certainly recommend giving those a try. I will say on the sleeper front, if you're playing with a less tech-savvy group, <laughs> it's a bit more app-driven. Yes. So if you want to play with Uncle Jim but he doesn't have a newish iPhone. Maybe you go away from Sleeper in that case. Yeah, no flip phones on Sleeper, <laughs> yeah. I would say. We should ask them if they have a flip phone app coming out. Uh, maybe we'll have an update to the video and let you guys know about that. So if you're intrigued, if you're ready to learn more about the various formats in fantasy football and the strategies at play in all these different formats, check out the DraftSharks University section on DraftSharks.com. We're there with lots of help for... However you want to play, welcome. 